Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and today I've got Dr. Greg Borgon in studio. He's going to be part of my series, which I call New Friend, Same Seven Questions. And then Rob Renow is going to join me. He's got um, a very interesting book called A Visionary Marriage. Are you missing what matters most? Capture a God-sized vision for your marriage. That's coming up um, right after Greg. So that's how we're going to get the day started. Dr. Greg Borgon is the founder and president of heartofawarrior.org. He's written a number of books and is a regular guest on the show. Always glad to have him on. Hello, Greg. That's good to be here, Bill. Thanks, thanks. So you uh, got my invitation to be part of my little series called Mm -hmm. New Friends, Same Seven Questions. You're not a new friend, but I'm going to ask you the same seven questions. Okay, let's go for it. Here we go. Let's start with this one. Greg, is man separated from God? Well, first of all, when you think of, of, of sin, it's the act of going against God and his ways. And anytime you go against something, you're separating yourself from whatever you're going against. So when we go against something, we, we separated uh, ourselves from God, especially through sin. So when we sin, we're choosing to really, Bill, act independent of God's will for our lives. As a matter of fact, this Ephesians chapter 14 says they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. And that heart gets hardened simply because we separate ourselves from our creator. So there is an actual separation. Um, So ongoing sin is really a series of decisions, each one choosing against God's authority in our lives and substituting our own. Those decisions create a wall between us and our creator because we can't serve two masters. Mm -hmm. So payment for sin requires a sinless substitute. Uh, A sinful substitute can only pay for their own sin. That's why the Lamb of God, who was innocent, um, ended up substituting uh, himself for our sin and, and paid that price so that he could bring about a restoration or an establishment of a relationship again and, and get rid of that void we call separation. But even as Christians, Bill, our sin can continue to separate us uh, from God's fellowship. Sin's like a dark curtain, I've heard it said, pulled over a sunny uh, window. The sun's still there, but the curtain creates a separation from its warmth and light. Repentance lifts the curtain and restores the relationship we once enjoyed. So God is always there, but sin wrecks this barrier between us and God. And that relationship needs to be restored again so that barrier uh, is removed. So we can also be, uh, I think it's important to note, and and it's scary really, to be eternally separated from God. Um, It's to forever shut off that light. I think we'll get to that next. Okay. Yeah. Because the next question is, what is the fate of the lost? Yeah. Well, the fate of the lost is separation from the author of light. Matthew 25 Uh, speaks to this. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. 
and uh, these go uh, away into all of the all these go away into what we now understand to be eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. In Second Thessalonians one, we read, "He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord." And from the glory of his might. Then again, Mm -hmm. you're talking about an extended separation. For those who do not receive Jesus as Savior, death means everlasting punishment. So that's what we are saved from, correct? No, we're saved from God's judgment of sin is what we're saved from. Okay. And so our sin has separated us from God and the consequences of sin is death. Biblical salvation refers to our deliverance from the consequences and and therefore involves the removal of that sin. Mm -hmm. So the fate of those uh, who are lost is eternal separation. And what we are saved from is God's punishment when we receive Christ. Mm -hmm. Now let that sink in just for a second. That's pretty sobering, Greg. Yeah, it is. It is. It's scary is what it is. Eternally separated from God. Separated from his love, separated from his presence, separated from his peace, um, and so we eternally separated from him, yeah. our creator. Yeah. And when we go into that kind of an eternity, it's obvious to us because we're no longer oblivious to the fact that we could have had that relationship with our creator, but we've separated ourselves from him. Mm. And now we long for it. That's part of what the imagery of fire and hell is all about. It creates a parchment, a thirst, a terrible thirst. And that thirst is for our creator that uh, we didn't take seriously when we were living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very sobering. And if you just are a new listener to the Faith Radio, and maybe you're kicking the tires and you're wondering, what is this spiritual stuff all about? Well, I'm glad you tuned in today. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're in a series called New Friends, Same Seven Questions. Maybe these are some questions you've had. And Greg, my next question is, what, what is the point a, a person is saved and and how? Okay. How does that work? Well, first, uh, we must be ready to surrender our independence for mm, God. That doesn't come God. easily. No, it doesn't. Uh, when we are ready to surrender our independence from God and submit to our dependence on God, we're ready to be saved. So we're prepared for it. When we come to that point and God takes us through these steps all along the way, sends his special agents to bring us one close, one step closer to a recognition that, you know what, I've been living my life independent of God, and it hasn't turned out so well. It's time for me to consider being dependent on God, because that will give me my freedom. Second, we must confess our life of sin and repent. The focus of Jesus Christ's mission was to call sinners to repentance. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. His call of absolute surrender goes out to all people. And it says in Luke 13, 5, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, the word repentance in the Bible literally means the act of changing one's mind. True biblical repentance goes beyond remorse, regret, or feeling bad about our sin. It involves more than merely turning away from sin. Erdman's uh, Bible dictionary includes the definition of repentance. In its fullest sense, it is a term for a complete change of orientation involving a judgment upon the past and a deliberate redirection of the future. So true repentance involves the sense of awareness of one's guilt, sinfulness, and helpfulness. So uh, we need to confess and repent. Third, we must believe in and receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, Acts 16.31. God's already done all the work. 
All you must do is receive in faith the salvation God offers in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Fully trust in Jesus alone for the payment of sins. Believe in him and you'll not perish. God is offering you salvation as a gift. So how do we receive salvation? That's my next question. So we're it's almost s- like you got these questions in advance. <laughs> and almost, you would think. It almost sounds that way. It does sound that way, doesn't it? So how do we receive salvation? <clears throat> we're saved by faith first. We must hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Then we must believe, that is, trust and rely on and cling to everything we know at that moment, fully trusting in the Lord Jesus. This involves repentance, a changing of the mind about sin, which we've talked about in Christ, and calling on the name of the Lord. Romans 10, 9, and 10 has the answer for us And when, when we raise this question. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead— you will be saved. Now, we've talked on your show before about the heart. We're talking about our, our central beliefs, our core values, our worldview, and our motives. So it's more than just a mental affirmation. It's an actual commitment from the core. So what do we need to do? Tell them so. That, that is all you need to do. It doesn't uh, have to be fancy. There are no magic words, no formula to follow. Simply talk to Jesus as if he were a friend uh, sitting beside you, for he is, you know, Tell him that you realize you can't make it on your own. Tell him you're sorry for the wrong you've done. Tell him you want to follow him to make him Lord of your life. Then thank him that he saved you, and then you'll be one uh, day be with him in, in heaven. So what does God ask for us in return for this gift? Nothing. Hmm. Nothing except for ourselves. To accept the gift, we must believe in our heart that God has done this for us. We must tell Jesus that we want to make him the Lord of our life. It's that simple. Mm. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. I'm going to squeeze one more question in before break here, Greg. Let me ask you this, because we've already talked about now uh, how a person becomes part of God's family. Mm -hmm. So if I make that decision to become part of his family, what is my fate? Oh, that's an interesting question. What is the fate of the saved? We yep. inherit eternal life in God's presence. And that's... That begins the moment. Yeah, present possession. Present possession. A salvation is actually initiated by, by God because it says in John six forty four, no one comes to the Son but through the Father. So he initiates the process. We can't even claim origination. So the fate of the saved is we inherit the life uh, uh, internal life in God's presence. The soul of the righteous go directly into the presence of God once uh, they're called home. We appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for what we've done. Like we've talked about on the show before, God's expecting an ROI. What have we done with what when we've been given? When you say ROI, Return you on his investment. Return <laughs> on his investment, but it's not like we get a video plate of our life and all the things we did wrong at that no, no, okay. because what he's doing is just rewarding us for what we've done right. Mm-hmm. And so he tells us the things that we've done, what we've done right, and he honors us for us. And okay. he gives us what it says, his crown, which we ultimately throw at his feet. So that's the fate of the saved, Bill. Only the righteous internal uh, inherit eternal life, and the only way to be declared righteous before God is through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Simple and crystal clear. It <laughs> I is. Hope so. It is simple and crystal clear. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're going to continue our series called New Friends, Same Seven Questions. If you've heard my other friends do this, I think you find it that the answers are spectacular, and it gives you a chance to feel better equipped to have questions that you can answer when you're sharing your faith 
with your family or friends or neighbors. We'll take a short break and be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for tuning in today. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. We're in our series called New Friend, Same Seven Questions, which I enjoy, and I hope you do too. So, Greg, I appreciate uh, what we've covered so far. Is man separated from God? You handled that well. What is the fate of the lost? What are we saved from? What is the point a person is saved and how? You did a beautiful job of discussing that. But I want to get to... uh, we talk about the fate of the saved. What are we saved to? That's a great question, Bill. The interesting thing is that when we receive Christ, and I use that word intentionally rather than accept because who's accepting whom? When we receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, there are benefits that accrue to our account. Eternal life is certainly one of them. We receive the Holy Spirit. We're given the seed of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we're given forgiveness. We're justified and so forth. So we're saved to do something, though, as well. So not only do benefits accrue to our account, so to speak, but there's expectations and obligations and duties that God expects of us. And I think it's best summarized in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, which continue after we come to Christ, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So there are some expectations of a believer, mm-hmm. as well as benefits that accrue to our account. I love that. And this is what he expects. We're representing the king. We've mm-hmm. been given a new passport. We belong to the citizens. We're a citizen of heaven. We belong to the kingdom of God. We're to re- represent that kingdom in a fallen world. That's what we are saved to. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I love that. Um, a new passport. Yeah. We're citizens of another kingdom. That's it. So we're passing through. Yeah, we're called to go into the world, to minister to the world for the sake of the world, but not be of the world. There's a French philosopher that said we're all spiritual beings having a human experience. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. it I love that quote. Yeah. So let's be about the the kingdom business. That's right. Because it has eternal consequences. I know. C.S. Lewis said so well, what isn't eternal is eternally out of date. (laughs) That's it. You know? Okay. Let's move on. Can we have assurance of our salvation? Yes. Well, we're 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 talking. We we're told in in Scripture that um, once saved, always saved. The fact is, is that we've been saved, uh, and God has promised. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians one thirteen and fourteen, it says that once we are saved, we are sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, that word sealed means a permanent fixture. Only God could break that seal. And if mm-hmm. he broke the seal, he'd be denying his truth. Right, which he would never do. No. So we are sealed. There's no way that we can lose our, our salvation. I know there are some that believe that that's possible. There are, we can certainly there are, sin. There are some that believe, that are listening right now, that are going, oh, you got that one wrong. Yeah. Well, God saves us and gives us eternal life, he says in Scripture. And uh, he doesn't back off in that. He's not giving it conditionally. He's not giving it based on a set of criteria. If you don't satisfy that criteria, I'm taking it away from you. Mm-hmm. He gives it to you as a gift. And so he doesn't take the gift back. He's not a, a, a giver mm-hmm. a, a, of the gift for the only purpose of just yanking it back from right. us. So it is eternal. Scripture is really clear about that. All right. Here's another question. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. New friends, say seven questions. Um, do all who believe move from death to life? And what does that mean? Well, when we talk about death, Bill, we're talking about two deaths. We're talking about physical death and spiritual death. And all of us are going to pass off uh, this earth and experience physical death. But spiritual death is different. Everyone will experience life after death in some manner. For believers in Christ, life after death is eternal life in heaven with God. For unbelievers, life after death is eternity in a lake of fire. So all of us are eternal beings. Mm-hmm. But it depends on where we're going to be spending that eternity. Now, the Bible says that, um, tells us that, yes, there is life after death. The world is not all there is, and mankind was made for something more. So a person can be physically alive and spiritually dead, according to Ephesians 2, chapter 1, and, and, uh, or chapter 2 and verse 1 and 5, and vice versa. When they sinned, Adam and Eve immediately lost their spiritual life. They became dead to godliness. They forfeited Eden, and they came under God's judgment, eternal death. Their shame triggered a correlating action as they hid from God. The internal separation from God manifests itself in external separation from him. So we can be spiritually dead but physically alive, and we're not quickened again until the Spirit takes up residence in our life when we submit through repentance and confession and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And Bill, when we finally recognize, you know what, we're under new management, Mm -hmm. and we need to understand that. And God has a pattern for our life that will give us a sense of true humanity that he created us to live. And there will be people, Greg, that will say, "Don't, don't tell me I'm, I'm dead in my sin. I'm a good person. I, you know, I gave to the United Way last year. I shoveled my neighbor's walk. Don't tell me I'm dead to my sin." Well, you know, it says that that works amount to nothing. Um, as a matter of fact, works are important after you come to Christ to demonstrate that you are a member of God's family. But you can't gain salvation by what you do. You gain salvation by who you trust in. Mm-hmm. Solid. Dr. Greg Borgon is my guest. New friends, same seven questions. Greg, how about this one? Has God given us all we need for life and godliness as believers? Well, first of all, Bill, the new birth is spiritual and results in a change of heart that produces true godliness, according to 2 Corinthians and 1 John. The Greek word translated godliness mm-hmm. in a most English translation means a proper response to the things of God which produces obedience and righteous living. But this one passage, Bill, I'm about to share, uh, disabuses us of the notion 
that we're coming up with some deficit, that we don't have what we need to live a life of godliness. And it's found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. It says this, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not some things. Ooh, I like that. All things. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're given everything, Bill. And on top of that, we're given the fruit of the Spirit, seed form, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that we need to cultivate. So it produces fruit that's observable in the world around us. We're also given the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Uh, He indwells us in, in the action by which God takes up permanent residence in the body of the believer in Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden, we have this ally now, this supporter, this encourager, this teacher, mm-hmm. um, and it's in the person of the Holy Spirit. So we are without excuse, Bill, about um, uh, if we claim that we don't have everything we need, that this is just the way I'm wired, this is just the way I am, it refutes what the Word of God says. He says, I've given you everything you need I to like live that. a life of godliness. I like that. All right, Greg, our last question. As we submit to him and die to ourself, will we have an abundant life? Well, John 10, 10, Jesus says, in John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So we receive this abundant life the moment we accept him or receive him as savior. The abundant life does not consist of an abundance of material things, however. What are we talking about? The abundant life is eternal life, a life that begins the moment we come to Christ and receive him and goes on throughout all eternity. So the abundant life consists of an abundance of love, mm-hmm. joy, peace, and the rest of the fruit of the Spirit. Love it. And Jesus gives us the fruit of the Spirit, as we've talked about. So the abundant life consists of these things, Bill. A new nature, sonship, joint heirs with Christ, a new citizenship, membership in God's household, justification, adoption, regeneration, forgiveness and redemption, a new heart fruit of the Spirit, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That sounds like a beautiful thing. (laughs) It is. It's a wonderful thing. Here's the deal, Greg. I ask, I say a penny for your thoughts, and you put your two cents in. I make money off you. (laughs) Just so you know. Thanks so much for doing the seven Uh, friends. my privilege. friends, same seven questions. Delight always having you here. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Rob Reno will join me, and we're going to talk about his book, Visionary Marriage, Capture a God-Sized Vision, For your marriage, are you missing what matters most? We're going to answer that when we come back.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Prime time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome back to the show, and again, a nice special thanks to Dr. Greg Borgon, who joined me for a new friend. Same seven questions. I think, I, I think it's about five people now who have done that, and I enjoy that so much, and I hope you do too. I hope it feels like it equips you to have uh, better conversations with your friends and family and loved ones and people you meet throughout the, uh, throughout the week. So that's, that's what I hope, anyway. And it's also Pastor Appreciation Month, so I'm always glad to say thank you to all the pastors who do such an amazing job. They have so much on their plate and they, uh, they serve God's uh, people so beautifully that you feed the flock, and we want to just appreciate you. If you'd like to nominate your pastor, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com, and you can uh, nominate him. We'll send him a card with a nice little uh, gift card for coffee, and it's a really nice deal. A lot of people have done it. So you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and check it out. Always glad to have Dr. Rob Reno back on the show. He's... Uh, uh, an impressive dad of seven kids, and he's got a beautiful ministry, and he's also going to talk about m- having a visionary marriage today. Uh, Rob, welcome back to the show. Boy, thank you so much for having me. I enjoyed our last conversation. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, I did too. Uh, you're personable and funny, and I, I enjoyed that about you very much. Awesome. How's yeah. your day been going? It's been going great. Uh, you know, we're in that Minnesota phase of, of weather where you might start with the, the the heater on in the morning and the air conditioning on in the afternoon. And you know how that goes. There you go. I know. I keep waiting for the – it seems like the wind right now is blowing all my neighbor's leaves <laughs> into my yard. <laughs> and I if, if I wait long enough, does that reverse? Is that possible? I, I don't know what to do. Yeah, that's what I would do. I just wait. Just wait for the reversal. So, Rob, let's talk about visionary marriage. Uh, talk about your first 13 years mar- being married to Amy. Oh, man. Well, backing up a little bit, we've been married 28 years now. And like you said, we've been blessed with these seven kids. Now we have two married and off the payroll <laughs> and uh, two, two college, a high school, a junior higher, and a third grader, as well as our first granddaughter. So praise God for uh, all those joys and blessings and, and problems. Um, but yeah, first 13 years of marriage, you know, we, when we got married, she was a Christian and I was a Christian and we both had good intentions. In other words, like we want to have a good Christian marriage and a good Christian family. But, and, and I kind of thought, well, what, what else do you need? Right. You got two Christian people and with good intentions, what could possibly go wrong? Well, uh, <laughs> a lot, a lot went wrong and, and a lot of it had to do with, and I'll, I'll speak for myself. I just was clueless about like the purpose of marriage and why God even made marriage. I clueless about my biblical mission and purpose as uh, a husband. And I had no sense of calling that, that my like first ministry was the soul of my wife, Mm. that, that I, as her husband had a spiritual and spiritual ministry to her. I mean, I, I had a ministry at church. I could see that real clearly. And, after some years, I could realize I had a ministry to my, my kids. I was blind to that for a long time, too. But, but the idea that I had a spiritual ministry to her was, was really non-existent in our marriage. And because of that, 
we had 13 years where we hardly ever prayed together. Uh, I was, you know, I prayed before meals and stuff, and I'd pray at church a lot because I'm a pastor, but praying with my wife, it was basically non-existent. So it was just a lot of human effort, human willpower, without any real biblical vision. Hmm. So as you discovered the power of purpose, you, again, frame that for me one more time, because I think that's a very important part of this discussion. Yeah, that I didn't understand, and I hadn't been convicted in my heart, that I had a spiritual ministry to my wife. So okay. the scripture from Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, 25 and 26, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church, who gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So like God brought, okay, if you're a married man, God wants to change you. And he, he thought out of the three and a half billion women in the world, oh, here's the perfect woman that the Holy Spirit can use to change this guy, to help him become more like Jesus. And if, as a married man, God wants to change me. He wants to make me more into the image of his son. And, and same thing for my wife. God wants to change her. So God brought me into her life. Why? So I would love her. So I would serve her and that I would spiritually lead her. And this is the thing that we completely missed. Mm-hmm. Rob, uh, I would love for you to say how that worked. I mean, how do you, how did you apply that? Um, cause I, I love the concept and I love the biblical mandate, but how did you walk that out? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, the, the first thing that changed is we started to pray together. Oh, good. So 13 years without praying, um, we started to pray together each night before we went to bed. And we now have 15 years of praying together every night before bed. Now, I'm not tooting my own horn here, okay? I got 13 years of no prayer. I've got 15 <laughs> years with prayer, so that means I'm only plus two, right? right. I'm, just, I'm just a notch above sea level. Um, but, but even those, that one minute, three minutes, five minutes uh, at night, and, and what is that prayer? For me, it's usually just um, a moment of thanksgiving, but then I just think about what, what burden is Amy under right now that I could shoulder for her in prayer. So Lord, I know Amy is just wiped out from this day. Would you bless her with a great night's sleep? Give all her strength back to her. Lord, she's got a big decision she's got to make tomorrow. Your word says if we need wisdom, we should ask for it. So would you please give her wisdom? Whatever she might be anxious about, I'm, I'm just going to try to shoulder a little bit of that uh, in prayer uh, in prayer with her. And then the second practical thing, and it came from Ephesians 5, 26, husbands love your wives, just as Christ loved the church who gave himself up for her cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. We hardly ever read the Bible just together, right? I mean, we do it with the kids and stuff, but not as husband and wife. So we just started opening up God's Word. We didn't do this big, giant couple's Bible study. That's fantastic. But we just started reading the Bible together because just spending time in God's Word was going to be spiritually transformative for our hearts. Mm -hmm. Dr. Rob Reno is my guest. His book is Visionary Marriage, Capture a God-Sized Vision for Your Marriage, and Rob, I would say, uh, I, I guess you would say Christian marriage is definitely under attack today. And visionary marriage, uh, explain that better for my listeners so they can understand uh, how, to, how, to start under, how to start getting excited about a visionary marriage. Well, almost all of the battles that we're seeing in the culture in our homes and in our churches are Genesis one, two, three battles. 
God made the world. No, he didn't. We're here by chance. God made male. God made female. Uh, nope. There's 57 different sexes and genders. God made mar- God made sex for one man, one woman marriage in covenant marriage. Mm-hmm. No, nope. sexuality is whatever. See, these are all Genesis wow. 1, 2, 3 battles. Satan and the demons always attack the base. They always attack the foundation, which is why you're going to get more spiritual attack in your marriage and family than you will anywhere else because it's at the very heart of God's plan to fill the earth with his people. So Satan and the demons attack the marriage relationship, number one. So we've got, and that's part of the reason why it's weird to pray together. Even if you're Christians, it's weird to read the Bible together, even if you're Christians, because you're getting so much spiritual attack and so much spiritual resistance to, to not do that. Stay spiritually separate. That's like the demon's top priority for you as husband and wife, spiritually separate. Keep them going with their good intentions. Keep them going with their willpower, because that's not going to get you anywhere. Mm -hmm. Rob, when you uh, have a a marriage where people keep a record of wrongs, that's probably not helpful at all. Um, Certainly, married couples are going to hurt each other. So what does forgiveness look like in a visionary marriage? Well, when Amy and I are having a conflict, it's because of something she did. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She, you know, she said the wrong thing. She looked at me the wrong way. She, whatever. Um, The cause of the conflict is a hundred zero her to me. Clearly. (laughs) I think we can all agree Mm -hmm. about that. I'm glad you're laughing. Um, That's not the case, but here's my point. Whenever we're in conflict in marriage, it's very easy to see your spouse's contribution. Right. I mean, it's obvious what you're upset about. Very, very hard to see your contribution. This is Jesus with the speck and the log, right, with your brother. So one of the things we have to do is to constantly be praying, God, I'm in this fight with my wife, with my husband. It's very easy for me to see their fault and their problem. But show me my fault. Show me my problem. Help me to not be like that guy in the Bible that Jesus talks about who's obsessed about the speck in their brother's eye, or in this case, husband's wife eye, and ignoring the log in, in my own eye. Uh, and then the other piece is be, because, you know, marriage is so hot and intense, it brings out a lot of junk in, in our hearts. It brings out things that need to be sanctified. So um, the, the intensity of the marriage relationship is going to bring out a lot in your spouse that's going to require forgiveness. And time does not heal all wounds. Mm -hmm. A lot of Christian families make that mistake. Time does not heal all wounds. But God can heal those wounds over time. But it starts with a very intentional process. I know, for instance, I'll say something that hurts Amy's feelings. She, She has to go before the Lord. Lord, I choose to forgive Rob for him hurting my feelings with his words or with his anger or with his harshness. Don't let any anger, bitterness, or resentment lodge in my heart toward Rob. Now, after she's done that work with the Lord, then she's got to come to me, honey. Really hurt my feelings when you said that the other day. And I'm able to say, okay, I'm sorry. I apologize. Will you please forgive me? But she had to do work with the Lord individually to choose forgiveness before we could step into this process of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So, Rob, when Amy's got some uh, real pressure points in her life and she is facing a lot of difficult things, how how do you best serve her in those areas? I think even beginning uh, or developing a habit of asking your spouse, you know, how can I pray for you today? Okay. 
Um, I have that on my phone calendar as a daily uh, appointment, if you will. At 10 o'clock every day, my little phone says, uh, ask Amy how you can pray for her today. Now, I don't ask her that seven days a week because I don't. Some days I'm busy or I forget or whatever it is. But even if it's a couple of days a week and even if it's by a text, hey, I was thinking about you. Is there any way I can pray for you uh, today? That's the number one thing. Not only does it communicate to your spouse that you um, that you're in the battle for them, that you want to shoulder their burdens with them, um, but you're also then taking you know their needs to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Rob, if you are not getting what you need in your marriage, are you are you good to ask for it? Well, that's a tough question for me because I have issues asking for help. Okay. Um, everybody, everybody's wired differently right, yeah. on those sorts of things, but I struggle, right? I, I struggle. Um, yeah, I struggle asking for help. It's just easier for me to do stuff myself. It's, it's much easier for me to ask somebody else, how can I help you rather than say, Hey, can I, can you help me? But, but that is a character weakness in me. It's not not a feather in, in my cap. And it actually, in our marriage counseling ministry, we've actually seen this. Uh, if that gets out of control, th- there are a lot of marriages where one spouse does the serving and the other spouse does the receiving. Mm-hmm. And that those people got together because one person feels better serving and the other person feels better receiving. So it temporarily kind of works, like it plays into both persons' <laughs> tendencies, but long-term, it's not a mutually edifying relationship. And so the growth area for me is actually asking for help and, and uh, asking Amy to help me. It, Amy's talked to me a lot, Genesis 2.18. It says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. Amy said to me a lot over the years, honey, it's hard for me because you don't ask for my help. See, I'm actually robbing her of uh, a mission that God gives to wives. Mm. Let me take a break. Dr. Rob Reno is my guest, and his book is Visionary Marriage. If you have a question or maybe you've heard something that you want clarification on, the text line is always open, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. We would love for you to share your story about why you love Faith Radio and what has Faith Radio changed the way you think about something or even how you live. We want to hear from you. Your story can encourage others and glorify God. Share what you love about Faith Radio by calling 877-933-2484 and leaving a message today. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Rob Reno is my guest. His book that he wrote with his wife, Amy, is called Visionary Marriage, Capture a God-Sized Vision for Your Marriage. So, Rob, let me ask you this. Um, When it comes to Amy, how can she express her concerns to you in a way that you understand and can receive and feels respectful? And um, how does she do that? 
Yeah. Well, she does it really well. And I'm blessed <laughs> with that. Uh-huh. There, there's, a, there's a couple of critical things. If you're going to share concern with uh, uh, your spouse, the first, of, the first thing is you need to do a really good preamble. A preamble is what you say before what you're going to say. Uh, and so Amy would come to me and something like this, uh, honey, um, I wanted to have a kind of a difficult conversation with you. I'm feeling sort of anxious about bringing it up. I was trying to decide whether I should even bring it up or not, but I'm bringing it up and I want you to know I'm, I'm bringing it up because I care about our relationship. And I just think it's important for us to talk about, I'm hoping you can receive this well and not be angry with me. You see, like she hasn't said anything yet. Right. That's, that's all, <laughs> yeah. all that is preamble. And it's very helpful. It's mm-hmm. very helpful. So it, it lets me say, okay, she cares about me. She's not here to attack me. Rob, don't get angry. Listen, okay, helps me set, set up. The other thing that's super important, and we describe this in the book as uh, the difference between communicating above the ground or below the ground. Above the ground is the particular subject matter that we're concerned about. Below the ground are the emotions that are supercharging the subject matter. So let's say I'm driving too fast down the highway. If she says to me, Rob, slow down, you're driving like a maniac, what's wrong with you? Um, I'm probably not going to respond very warmly, softly, humbly. <laughs> I may, mm-hmm. I'd like to, I, I'd like to ask the Lord to help me with that, but, but I'm, I'm probably already on edge. Whereas if she says, now what's going on below the ground for her as I'm driving too fast? She's anxious. She's fearful, right? Those are the emotions underneath. So if she were to say to me, uh, honey, I just want you to know I'm feeling afraid with how fast we're driving. Now, I can't guarantee you that I'm going to respond maturely to that. However, it gives me a much better chance of responding maturely. Why? Because I don't want my wife to be afraid. Mm-hmm. I love her. I care about her. So the combination of those two things, if you can really work to give a good preamble, and then you can share your emotions below the surface, um, rather, okay, so, so the wife comes home with an unexpected number of clothes from Target, the Target run, okay? <laughs> and why do you have to, you know, don't you, you got a whole closet full of nothing to wear, you know, why are you spending all this money? Da, 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 da. So above the ground is the purchases and the budget, right? But what's going on below the ground for him? He's feeling fearful and anxious about the family finances, sure. right? So he has to learn to go below the ground, honey. Uh, hard for me to talk about this, but you, you just need to know my anxiety level with our family budget right now is really high. And seeing you come home with all that stuff that we didn't talk about beforehand just really makes me anxious and makes me fearful about where we're at with our finances. So again, no guarantee she's going to respond maturely but you gave her a much better chance of doing it. Mm, I like that. So when you have couples that come in and, and are looking for counseling, do you have couples that love each other, but don't like each other? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, we have couples that are committed to each other and uh, pressing in, but their emotions just aren't there because there's been a lot of conflict. There's been a lot of struggle. And, you know, we encourage couples, you know, it's, it's really nice if, Every single night before bed, you can say, I love you and give a nice long kiss and cuddle up and go to Mm -hmm. bed. But the reality is, is sometimes there's those warm fuzzies aren't there due to a whole bunch of different things. And if you can't say to your spouse, I love you, it's powerful and very worth saying, I'm committed to you. I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. 
um, that is a glue that can help you through uh, some of those difficult seasons. Mm-hmm. So what about when your wife tries to uh, bring one of the areas that you need to maybe grow or mature in, if she brings that to your attention? What percentage of the time is that well-received, and what percentage of the time is that, oh, here we go again? <laughs> Boy, this is like a counseling session for me here. I don't know what, don't know what to do with these, these questions. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, no, that's okay. Um, part of it is asking the Lord to give me uh, a spirit of humility. <laughs> when Amy and I teach the Visionary Marriage Conference mm-hmm. at churches— Here's the way she does it, and it it really makes people squirm. But I'll, I'll share it with you here. So she she will say to the men, um, "God thought you needed a helper because that's why He brought you a wife. Do you agree with God that you need <laughs> someone to help you?" Mm-hmm. And then and then she'll talk to the wives. God thought you needed a leader, which is why He brought you a husband. Do you agree with God well, that you need a leader? Now, boy, you can feel a pin drop in the room right there, but you see the the humility pill, right, that that I, and I'll just speak, you asked me a husband question, so I'll respond to sure. that. As a husband, that, okay, Lord, I need help, and you have brought a wife into my life who loves me, and she wants to help me become more like Christ. And what you'll see with a lot of husbands give you an example. So let's say a husband's struggling with uh, swearing and profanity, right? He's got a bad character issue with that. So he's at church and he's with his, you know, buddies at churches. And he says, Hey guys, I just really appreciate your prayer. You know, kind of struggling with my language and I appreciate prayer that God would help me with that. All right, man. Hey, thanks for sharing that. We'll pray for you. Um, But then if he goes home and his wife says, Hey, you know, I really want to encourage you with your language. Hey, lick it off, lay off my back. I'll talk the way I want to talk. (laughs) So you see, he's Mm -hmm. like, He's willing to accept help, quote unquote, from the guys at church. But as soon as his helper tries to help, now he's all proud and arrogant. Uh, that's interesting. So talk about speaking with grace and truth. How can you improve your skill at uh, doing both of those better? Well, those two words come from the ministry of Jesus. John chapter one It says Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Now, most of us are better at one than the other. Um, well, what, what do you mean full of grace, full of truth? Full of grace is communicating to someone, I love you no matter what. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not going to abandon you. Uh, full of grace or full of truth is I'm concerned about something and I need to be honest with you about a difficult subject. We have some people that are very good at communicating grace. I love you no matter what, but they really don't speak very truthfully. Uh, and as a result of that, anger and bitterness grows in their heart. You have other people that, man, they'll speak very truthfully, right? They will just lay it out. They'll smack it down, um, but they don't speak full of grace. And as a result, they bring so much damage and, and destruction to their relationships. So first thing is to ask yourself, you know, which is my natural bent? Am I more graceful, less truthful, more truthful, less graceful? You know, none of us are Jesus, right? Jesus' dials both go up to, to 10 or even 11. If you're 11, Jesus. yes. That's right. So um, thank you for that one. Um, so even just getting out a piece of paper at the up at the top, what do I need to say to my spouse that is full of grace? And what you do in that column, it's how do you say I love you no matter what, a whole bunch of different ways. That's full of grace. And then on the truth side, full of truth, what do I need to say that's that's truthful right now? And that that's usually I'm concerned about 
such and such. So starting a sentence with I'm concerned about or I'm burdened about is a, a preview for something that's truthful. Mm-hmm. Rob, we just have about a minute left, and God has blessed you and Amy with seven kids. What about married couples that are having trouble having one? Oh, man. Well, that is such a, a deep and personal journey. And the scriptures speak to that over and over again. And I don't, I'm not going to, what I'm going to say is going to sound like a, a Sunday school answer, but it's not meant to be that in any way, shape or form. You know, the message of the Bible over and over again is to trust the Lord with everything in your life. And specifically this issue of children, that's what Psalm 127 is all about, that unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. So not quenching your desire for children praying together faithfully as husband and wife, not just praying that God would bless you with children, whether it be biological or foster or adopting children, but praying together as husband and wife through all of the emotions, right? That monthly, um, that monthly process of hope and that monthly process sometimes of grief and loss, especially if there have been uh, children lost through miscarriage along the way or things like that. But, but there, there's no way to go through that journey if a husband and wife are not in prayer, genuine prayer Mm -hmm. together. Yeah. Rob, always nice to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time today. This has been a lot of fun and a delight. Absolutely. I look forward to next time. Oh, me too. Dr. Rob Reno has been my guest. His book with his wife, Amy, is called Visionary Marriage. Capture a God-sized vision for your marriage. After a short break, hour two is just ahead. We're going to continue with the red words of Jesus. Rick Batson, John Afonso will be in studio. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.